You guys been enjoying going through the parables this summer? All right, it's been a lot of fun. We're uh, calling this summer teaching series Storyteller uh, because Jesus was masterful at telling uh, stories that would really convey spiritual truths. And these stories are uh, these parables. We call them earthly stories with spiritual meaning. They're stories that really connect with things here on earth like kings and fields and vineyards and sheep and barns, things that were really relevant uh, to them that day. And then as stories do, these stories really kind of stick and they're memorable. And here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives them three in a row. It's kind of tie bow on these guys here. He gives the triple threat. He gives them a punch, punch, kick. Uh, and I just want you to see the intensity of what he's doing here. One, two, three parables in a row with the exact same big idea because this parable is directed at the religious leaders, at the Pharisees and the scribes who Jesus talks to uh, often in the, the gospel accounts. They really struck a nerve with Jesus. And so I want to see uh, where they kind of struck a nerve with him. And so let's look again. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Luke 15, 1 and 2, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus is out ministering to people, and who starts drawing near to Jesus? It says that tax collectors and sinners draw near to Jesus. Now let's think about our tax collector friends for a moment. You love paying taxes much like I do. And these tax collectors were uh, known to be incredibly corrupt guys. And so if your bill said $75, they said it says here that you owe $90 and they take that extra $15 off the top for themselves. And so they were known as a greedy, corrupt group of guy. Nobody likes it when the tax collector comes showing up at your door. And then it also says that sinners started to draw near. And so this is kind of a general term for people who are not walking with the Lord, people who were, let's just say, not church folk. And so it says that tax collectors and sinners are all drawing near, it's saying. Let's notice that. They're all drawing near. And so there's a lot of sinful, corrupt shady characters walking around with Jesus. It's Jesus and the motley crew here. And what happens as they're all drawing near to Jesus? The church folk, the Pharisees and the scribes, start getting you know, kind of ticked off. They start grumbling a little bit. What is Jesus doing with the non-church folk? I mean, he's walking with them. He's hanging out. He's even eating with them? I mean, that's kind of a sign of I'm, I'm having you at my table. I'm connecting with you. Uh, I'm befriending you. I'm inviting you in. He's eating with them? Oh, no, he didn't, right? They are ticked right now. And these are, are sinful people, and the religious people are really disturbed by it. They're grumbling. They're talking amongst themselves because Jesus is giving them special uh, time. And this attitude that these guys have these Pharisees and the scribes, the religious church folk, man, it gets Jesus riled up and he gives them three straight parables in a row with the same big idea. And the big idea is this, that God is seriously concerned with the lost being found. It's the big idea. God is seriously concerned with the lost being found. And he's already confronted this crummy attitude in the hearts of these guys before. Listen to Luke chapter 5, uh, 30 through 32. Listen to what he says here to them. It says, And the Pharisees and the, the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so 10 chapters earlier from what we're looking at today, these same religious type people are doing what? Same word. They are grumbling. They're, they're just grumpy religious people who think they're better than everybody else. They're looking down their nose and Jesus can't stand it. And I know you can't stand it either. They're saying, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you hanging out with these people? To which Jesus says, what? He says, the doctor is hanging out with sick people. Is that crazy? What's wrong with you people, right? Jesus is just completely flustered with these guys. I was hanging out with a friend of mine the other day. He's a pastor, and he just took a new role as the associate pastor or the outreach pastor at a, at a very wealthy church um, in a wealthy suburb just outside of the city. And he's like, tell me about this job. He says, Josh, here's, here's the problem. As I start to reach out and lead this church as they've hired me to do and outreach efforts into the community, we start to get people coming in the doors of our church who aren't really like the wealthy people in our church. Well, they don't like it. They don't like me doing my job. Uh, my counsel? Was, you got to point those people to Jesus then. I know you're trying to point the people that you're bringing into the church to Jesus. You've got to point the wealthy people in the church, to Jesus. If Christians can't act like Christ, then they're not Christians. And the Pharisees and the scribes here found it really inappropriate that Jesus was spending time with sinful people, people who were spiritually messy and undeserving. But what they didn't realize was the attitude of their heart proved that they were spiritually messy and undeserving. And so boom, 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 Jesus gives them this triple threat, three parables in a row, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son, probably the most popular of them all. All three have the same big idea. The big idea is that God is seriously concerned with the lost being found. And I want to look at the first two for the next little while together, the lost sheep and the lost coin. And so let's read uh, again Luke chapter 15. We'll read the first one, three through seven. So Jesus told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, uh, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people just like you who need no repentance. He's being sarcastic there. Everybody needs repentance. And so, this is a really well-developed image in the scriptures spanning the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, this image of a sheep and his shepherd and the sheep here going astray. And he talks about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them kind of wanders off a little bit and he's been lost. And this shepherd is so concerned with this lost sheep that he leaves the 99 and leaves them exposed, leaves them uh, exposed, it says, in the open country. So there's no protection. They're just wide open. Wolves could come in and attack them. Uh, They could themselves wander off. He leaves them 
He leaves the 99. And, and let me just say this. Sometimes for us as a church, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to do things that are uncomfortable for the 99, for the church folks in our, in our midst in order to reach with people, in order to connect with people, in order to disciple people. We're going to have to do things that, you know, make it uncomfortable. You know, most churches are into this thing we call the homogenous principle. That means you're going to get people who are just like you in your church. And so if you're a church of young families, you're going to just gravitate towards young families. If you're uh, of a specific ethnicity, that's what you're going to be. And we say, no, that's not the kingdom. And so it's kind of uncomfortable at first, right, for a lot of people to say, well, there's people that are coming in and not like me. And we'd say, no, no, no. The example here, according to the scriptures, is that, listen, it's going to be uncomfortable and we're okay with you being a little bit uncomfortable in order to reach people who are far from God. The point is that God places great value on all kinds of people, on on everybody, which kind of leads us to the the next parable where we really see the value. Look now at 8 through 10. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So now Jesus says, okay, so here's, here's a woman. She has ten silver coins, which would have been uh, worth about 10 days worth of work. And she loses one. So she loses one day's uh, worth of work pay. And so she loses that. It's of great value to her. So much so that she lights a lamp and she gets down and she sweeps and she looks everywhere to find this one coin. It says specifically that she looks diligently for the lost coin until she finds it. She looks diligently until she finds that coin. And then when she finds the coin, and then when the shepherd finds his lost sheep, he takes the sheep, he puts it over his shoulders. What an amazing image that the sheep couldn't help himself. Even if he knew where to go, he couldn't go there. The shepherd had to pick him up and put him on the shoulder. But when the shepherd brings the sheep back, when the woman has the coin, they, they call their neighbors and their friends, and what do they do? They celebrate. They throw a party. And if you know the third parable, the parable of the prodigal son, what happens when the son returns? Father throws a party, right? For his wayward son. And Jesus is declaring, listen, I am excited about reaching the lost, connecting with the lost, and restoring the lost. It's worth celebrating. It's a really, really, really big deal. Jesus declares that there is joy in heaven when one sinner Repents. That means to turn back to God. There is joy in heaven when one sinner of great value is found and returned, reunited with God. There's joy in heaven. You see the, the value that God is putting on finding the lost, restoring the lost. The big idea is God is seriously concerned with the lost being found. And if God is concerned, then we need to be concerned, Right? We're called to have the mind of Christ. We want to have the heart of Jesus here. And so for the remainder of our time, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look a little bit specifically at the lost and think about the lost. And then I want to kind of close it out with the found. And so first, 
Think about the loss with me for a moment if we can. Every single one of us in this room today need to dwell on the lost. Think about this phrase, the lost. Every single one of us because we are either lost ourselves or we need to be serious about diligently pursuing the lost. And let me be clear about what and who the lost are. The lost are people who have not been reunited with God through Jesus, who is the rescuer, who is our Savior. The Bible makes it really clear that God created us for a relationship with Him. I mean, that's it, to enjoy a relationship with Him and all that He has made. He's created us for that purpose, but we have all sinned against Him. We've wandered from Him. Well, the Bible is calling that here lost, that we are separated with God for all eternity. We're in bondage to Satan and sin and death. We're lost and we're trapped and we can't get out. But God himself is the only answer to the problem, the one that we turned from and wandered off from. He's the only answer to the problem. He comes into humanity as a man, Jesus of Nazareth, and he lives perfectly our life, undeserving of death, but he then lays down his life and dies as our ransom to buy us back, as our rescuer, as our Redeemer. That's why Isaiah the prophet will say in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6, he says, all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. So we have wandered off like that sheep. We've gone our own way, but God has restored us by laying on Jesus, the rescuer, the ransom for our sin. And if we trust in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, we can be reunited with God. We can be restored with God. We can go from being lost to being found. And so the lost are those people who have been separated from God. Those people who have really been separated from God. Now, let me acknowledge something in the room for just a minute. Because I really understand, I'm not naive, that for some people that term lost feels demeaning, right? I had a guy one time say, yeah, let's, let's just not use the term lost. It kind of feels demeaning. And I said, well, you know, here's the thing. It's Jesus' word, and so I'm okay with using it, you know? And so we're going to use the word lost. I want to assure you that the word, the phrase lost, is not intended to be demeaning. Think with me about the song Amazing Grace for a moment. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Christians use this phrase, lost, because Jesus used it. It's not demeaning, because we're saying, I once was lost, and now I'm found. And I am found, not because I find myself and I pulled it together. No, I'm found because Jesus found me. Jesus restored me, so I'm not looking down my nose at anybody as if I earned this and I found my way back to God. And therefore, I'm better than you. No, it's he found me, and now I'm excited to say, and I know where more people are who need to be found. We are grateful. You know what's demeaning? It's not calling people lost. What's demeaning is if we really believe that I once was lost, but now I'm found, 
and I also know that there are still other people out there that are lost, it's demeaning if I don't do anything about it. That's demeaning. My wife and I were watching this really great YouTube clip this morning. Some of you heard of Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller, uh, he, the, the magic show, you know, and they do Vegas and all that kind of stuff. And he's a uh, very outspoken atheist. And he does these little clips every now and again on YouTube, and he just kind of gives his thoughts after the show. And after one show, he says, I had this guy come up to me, uh, and he hovered around the corner over there, as people do. And uh, finally, it was his turn. He comes up to me, and he had a Bible. He says, I want to give you this Bible. And he said, the guy was really nice and really sincere. It wasn't just empty, kind of vain flattery. He was sincere. And he said, great show. I just want to let you know I love how articulate you are. You're really just excellent at that. And uh, he said, I just want you to have this Bible. And uh, he said there were like five phone numbers on the front cover. He said, call me if, if you ever read it. And he was just real straight with them and kind. And basically in the video clip, uh, Penn Jillette says, you know what? I'm an atheist, and I had a feeling that the guy knew that I was an atheist. He says, I really don't have a problem with that. He says, it would be cruel if people believed, even if wrongly, because he thinks we believe wrongly. He said, it would be cruel if people believed that people were lost and dying and did nothing about it. He said, that would be, that would be cruel. He says, so non-Christians shouldn't be mad or offended when a Christian tries to evangelize them. They should be offended if they don't. You should look up that video clip sometimes. Just really good perspective. Christians, we once were lost, but now we're found. And therefore, we should have great compassion on the lost. How selfish would it, would it be for us to say, I'm found, and good for me. See you later. No, we're found, and therefore, we want to see other people found. And we want to tell he who has rescued us. I know where there are more people. Let's go. Let's, let's go. Let's find them. Let's look at four scenarios to help us develop compassion for the lost. And I want us to see that each scenario kind of gets progressively worse. And I want you, if you are found, to put yourself in each of these scenarios. First scenario is this. You're lost. I pray that these scenarios will help you to develop compassion for the lost and be moved to action. So you're lost. Doesn't mean you've took a wrong turn. We're talking about you are stranded. You cannot save yourself. Scripture talks about being in the pit of despair, in the mire. You cannot save yourself with each failed attempt to save yourself. You find that you're more dejected and you're more discouraged to the point that eventually some people just stop searching altogether. And time is ticking, and so there's real urgency. Not long ago, I was flipping through the channels, and I landed on this TV show, and it was called something like, uh, I, I Shouldn't Be Alive on Discovery Channel. And it was, I guess it was a marathon, and I got hooked in. I watched like three straight uh, episodes, I Shouldn't Be Alive. And it's basically these actors reenacting real stories of people who got stranded somewhere, and they really shouldn't be alive, but somehow they're still alive, and they kind of walk through the scenario how each person has, you know, hypothermia starts to set in with each day, day five, day six, without water or without food and how they really shouldn't be alive. And with every single day, time is, is ticking and you kind of get this sense of urgency like, we got to find these people. And this is what we're talking about. People are lost. 
There is urgency here. It's not, well, if one day I leave out of church and I'm really motivated, maybe I'll, I'll get on board here. No, it's time is ticking and this is a really big deal. You're lost. The next scenario is you're lost and you don't know it. You ever been there? Men? <laughs> you're lost and you don't know it or maybe you won't admit it. See, not everybody is feeling hopeless and saying, I'm dying and I need help. It's possible to be lost and happy. It drives me crazy when Christians try to make it sound like everybody who doesn't have Christ is completely miserable. Because then we look around and we're like, they look pretty happy to me. What? I don't don't get it. They don't have Jesus. They should be miserable, right? You know, sometimes the enemy lets you be happy till the day you die. And that's a great tool as well. And so some people are lost, and they don't even even know it. Recently, my family was playing outside together, and our two-year-old Nora started to kind of wander a little bit. And we weren't, we were watching her, so we didn't just let her wander. And uh, I went to go get her as she was about to go in the neighbor's yard, and Becky says, no, Josh, wait. See what she does. I just always wondered, like, what would she do if we just didn't go after her? Would she just, you know, baby stay out and, like, climb the Empire State Building or whatever they do, you know? And so uh, I kept following her, but at a distance where she couldn't see me, and then she would go, you know, through the bushes and then into the neighbor's yard, and I'm kind of ducking and hiding, and then she goes across the yard and down a driveway and around a corner of a house and then onto some other sidewalk, and I'm just kind of, and she didn't care. She was just... There's no way she would have been able to find her way back once she realized that mom and dad weren't anywhere around. But she didn't care until eventually she clicked. Like, I'm lost. <laughs> and I came out right here. <laughs> and it was, it was, I saved the day, right? You know what's worse than being lost is lost and you don't know it. And you're just getting further and further and further and further away. And you're happy in the moment, but you know, happiness can be blinding sometimes, right? Happiness can kind of be blinding because you're running farther and farther away from the Lord. Man, I hate it that people don't consider the Lord oftentimes until tragedy strikes and suddenly there's a death or cancer or a rebellious child or marital issues and suddenly it's like, maybe I should start looking up, I don't know. And they don't know left from right so they just look up to the Lord, I guess. Some people are just happy and therefore lost and don't, they don't know it. Another scenario uh, is that some people are, are lost, but no one's looking for them. Lost, but it seems like no one's looking for them. Let me say this. Christians, oftentimes, we start out with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Let's say for these people who are lost and don't know it. And we see them and we're like, they're lost and they don't know it. And I'm going to tell them about Jesus. So we just start out with the good news of the gospel. Well, most people, they don't even know the bad news. And we go straight to the good news. See, people have to realize that they're lost before you tell them how to be found. Does that make sense? So don't just skip to the good news without the bad news because then the good news isn't good. It's just confusing. And so let's help people to understand you need a Savior. You have sinned against God and the wage of sin is 
death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've got to help them see that they're lost before you skip straight to everything's going to be okay if you just trust in Jesus. Why do I need to trust in Jesus? Go back to the, the bad news. Because some people are lost and they don't even know it and you've got to show them that they're lost. But even worse than that is when people are lost and no one's even looking for them. Does that break your heart? People are lost and no one's looking for them, at least no one inside of the church oftentimes. The passage I'm speaking on this week at this middle school camp comes from Ezekiel. And it tells us that the Lord is seeking his lost sheep. And so I love how Jesus chooses to pursue people, oftentimes even apart from us, like the Apostle Paul, who's on the road, and all of a sudden gets blinded. I was telling my little man Luca that story this morning. And so he doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And we get the privilege of having the power of the Holy Spirit move through us. And so we should be about looking for the lost. It should break our hearts. Yesterday I was at this cafe, and there was this husband and this wife sitting beside me. And I give you all these kinds of stories all the time, and I don't want you to think that I'm just like this uh, perpetual eavesdropper here. (laughs) I just don't listen to music while I'm working on my computer, so I hear everything around me, and I'm easily distracted, as you may know. I'm sitting at this cafe, and this husband and wife are reading, each reading a newspaper. And in the middle of it, the wife goes, oh my gosh! And he goes, what, what? And she says, listen to this article. And she reads him this article about this Microsoft exec who's flying his 17-year-old son in their own personal plane to college. And right before getting to college, there's mechanical issues and the plane crashes into a house with three children inside and all five die. No sooner did she finish telling her husband this story than the husband goes, honey, really think we should get a blue BMW. (laughs) And she said something like, are you kidding me? She slams down her newspaper. "Are, Are you kidding me? I'm getting emotional about this article and you're talking about a blue BMW. Did you hear what I said? And she got up and walked to the restroom. Christians, sometimes I feel like that's us. Like we come to church and we hear a message like people are lost and dying. And then we change the subject real quick. And then we forget real quick. As if that was never even said. And we get excited about things that pale in comparison to the news that people are lost. And the Bible is our newspaper and it has a lot of bad news to help us to see the the good news. And in comparison to the bad news and the good news that is to follow, there's nothing more important, is there? There's nothing more important than that. And Jesus is obedient to the Father and he comes to the earth. And then in John chapter 20, he says, and as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so we are sent out of this place passionate or should be passionate about the good news and the exciting part that we have the remedy to the bad news. 
In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, right before Jesus feeds the 5,000, it says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I just pray that we would see that there are people out there lost like sheep without a shepherd. I'm praying that God would give us compassion for people. I'm praying that you guys would join me in praying a prayer that I started praying as a teenager when somebody challenged me to pray this prayer, and that is, God, give me the eyes of Jesus. I want to look at people, and I want to have compassion on them. I don't want to look at people and say, oh, filthy sinners, I'm so much better than you. Tax collectors are so corrupt. I want to look and say they're helpless, and they're lost. They need a Savior, and I know the only one who can save them, and I have concern for them. I don't want to change the subject and say, man, I really need a new car. Man, I need a bigger house. And I want to step it up one notch and get a better place. No, it's, those things are they're fine. Let's not be distracted from the mission. If we have compassion for the lost, see a lot of Christians say, oh, I have compassion for the lost. Their lives don't really reflect it. If we have compassion for the lost, it results in mission for the found. If you are found, you've been reconnected, reunited with Jesus, then you're on a mission. He saves you unto salvation, but he also brings you into his mission. We have a mission that we have adopted. And if we don't have compassion for the lost and we're not concerned with the mission of Jesus, then we're no different than those Pharisees and those scribes. You say, man, it's about me. I'm good. I got it together. Jesus, come hang out with me. Don't hang out with those dirty people. We're just worried about ourselves. Instead, we need to be on a mission, a rescue mission with Jesus. He said, I was out to seek and to save that which is lost. See, all this language blends together. Everything is clear in light of the message and the mission of Jesus. Life just makes sense when filtered through it. You have a purpose. We have a unifying purpose that you're not a plumber or a pastor. You're a follower of Jesus on mission with Jesus. We're all the same. We have a mission. We have a mission, and we need to lock arms and do it, whether it's in this setting like this or whether it's in your workplace with a person in the cubicle beside you downtown. We're all on a mission. Whether it's your children that you're trying to raise up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, we're on a mission to bring the lost to Jesus. We need to be doing what Jesus does. We need to be eating with sinners. In the, in the, the scriptures in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, talks about the qualifications of elders, pastors, church leaders. And one of those qualifications, because they are the men who are to really set the tone for you and model for you, it says that they are to be hospitable, You know what Christians have turned hospitality into? Hospitality is having other Christians over at your house. No, that's called fellowship. Hospitality, biblically speaking, is when you eat with sinners. When you are with people who aren't believers, that's biblical hospitality. When's the last time you've had somebody over to your house for dinner that's not a member of your church? That's not your best buddy? Like a neighbor? Eat with sinners. Be like Jesus. And go after lost people even though it's risky. It's risky. 
See, what happens with a lot of churches is they get to a certain size as new churches like us. They start to grow a little bit, and they get to a certain size where now it's like, oh, we've got to manage all of these people instead of leaving the 99 and going to get more people who are lost because now we just manage the 99. We don't want to expose them. No, leave them in the open country to go get more. It makes church life kind of clear as well. We're to be diligently searching like the woman with the coin. If you're found, you should be now diligently searching. So you tell the rest of you, let's go, let's go. And you're on mission with Jesus rather than, all right, you ride the helicopter, you sit back, and they feed you your steak dinner, and you're rescued. And now you just sit down. No, you say, there's more. Go, go. That's what we should be doing, diligently searching. I just love the image of the woman with the, the lamp on her knees, combing every corner of her house? Are you combing every corner of your life and saying, are there people in my life that I can share the message and the hope, the news of Jesus with? My neighbors, have I, have I talked with my neighbors about the reason for the hope that I have? My coworkers, have I talked with my coworkers about the reason for the hope that I have? Have I talked with my family members about the reason for the hope that I have? No, because it's uncomfortable? Come on. If we believe we're talking life or death here. As Pendulette said, it would be cruel and hateful, he says in that YouTube clip, to not tell them. So we like to say that we're going to be a church of awkward conversations. I'm okay with having awkward conversations. It's not easy for me to talk up Jesus with just a, a stranger. It can be uncomfortable at times, but I'm okay with that. I will deny myself because I'm following Jesus, and I want other people to follow Jesus. And like Jesus, we want to place great value on every single one who is lost. Great value on every single one who is lost. Praying that God would grant us compassion. And I'll say this, in many respects, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. I don't think I've known of a church that has been as aggressive at seeing lost people come to know Jesus than you. So I commend you for that. But let's never settle. Let's keep pressing on. Let's keep pressing on, placing value on the lost and say this is life or death. Time is ticking. There is urgency. I care for these people. I love these people. I'm not looking down my nose at them. I'm saying I once was lost, but now I'm found, and I want to see more people found. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that it would stir us. Such a simple couple of parables that you value the lost and that you are searching diligently for the lost. And that you leave the 99 exposed because you care about the person who's astray. May our church never be a country club where we just cater to ourselves. No, we constantly, always be on mission with Jesus. Always be on mission with Jesus. Lord, thank you that you include us in this rescue mission. It's really clear in Ezekiel that you're going to do it with or without us. Thank you that you choose to use us, even though you don't need us, because... Reminded of Acts chapter 17, our God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. You don't need us. 
God, thank you for using us. God, I pray that we would all jump on this mission and experience the joy of seeing a lost one come to Jesus. I pray that this school year that we're coming, approaching it, God, that every single one of us would see a lost one come to Jesus. And we would be like the shepherd coming back with the sheep on the shoulders. And just so much joy. We would celebrate with the angels in heaven to see a lost one reunited with you. God, I pray for anybody in this room today who finds themselves in the midst of this story as the sheep who has wandered off. Lord, may they see that they're lost. May they see their need for a Savior. And maybe they're here today because you have come to rescue them. Somehow you drew them in. God, I pray that they would respond and receive life in Jesus, rescue from Jesus, restoration through Jesus, redemption because of Jesus. May they turn from sin and turn to you, trust in your death, burial, and resurrection on their behalf. And be made a new creature. Commit them to you, Father. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.